All right, I'm going to invite you to turn to Psalm 139, which is where we are going to be today in regards to the knowledge of God. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we are grateful for your love for us. We are grateful that we can gather together to worship. And our prayer is that everyone who comes today has come for the purpose of worship. And knowing that the corporate worship that we will engage in today is merely an outpouring of the type of worship that we have each had individually and within our families this last week. And I ask that if there are any who have come and that as they do not have the true spirit of worship in their hearts and minds today, that that you would convict them of the sin and that they have committed before you. And in each of our lives, we know that we struggle from day to day. There are things that we do not worship you or we choose to worship ourselves or the world or any of the other gods that we set up sometimes in our lives. I ask as we look at the scriptures this morning that you would help us to understand your word and help us to remember the words of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Give us strength for the day. May each teacher, each word that is said, each song that is sung, each prayer that is offered, each gift that is given and the offering, may it bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 139. This morning we are going to be talking about the foreknowledge or the knowledge of God, not the foreknowledge, but the knowledge of God. I've got some things written on the board here, and before we get to Psalm 139, I'd like three volunteers to take the verses that are on the board. So if we can have somebody, if you would like to read, we've got three verses here. Uh, Mom, if you'll take Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, who else would like to read? Okay, Uh, Sterling, if you'll take Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, and then Ramona, Isaiah chapter 46, there'll be other verses, Isaiah 46, verse 10. Nice shirt, I like the purple. I'll edit that out. Okay, we have been talking about the attributes of God, and too often when we come within, I believe even within evangelical Christianity, we don't we don't really want to focus on what everybody else is doing as much as we want to focus on what we are doing and areas in which we are not actually doing what is right. And I think there are a lot of times that as we come within our daily lives, we get this impression of God that is not a that is not a biblical impression. And we think that whatever goes on, for example, there are times in my life I can remember we were in England one year, and I think it was in I don't even remember what year it was. The presidential election, we were staying in a hotel in downtown London area, or just one of the outskirts of London, and the presidential election was on, and Violet, she gave up, she went to bed, and of course it's a lot later there, we were about six hours ahead, and uh, so I stayed up, and it all, it frustrated me, and I was wondering who was going to win, and and of course I think that was the year actually when, when it went on for like five or six weeks until we actually found out. Uh, who actually won the presidential election or who was declared the winner at the time. 
And I can remember it was that was the last time that I ever decided because the Lord convicted me and he said, you either believe in my sovereignty or you don't. You either trust me or you don't. Either I know the future or I don't. And that really is what it boils down to because if God is totally in control, if God is sovereign in all things, why do we need to stay up late, as David said, and eat the bread of sorrows? There's no reason for us to do that. And that's easy on the political realm because maybe we're just not political. Maybe that's just not an area that we like. Okay, what about when you go to the doctor and you get some life-shattering news? Is God still in control? Is God still sovereign? Yeah. We get up in the morning and you walk out and you're already late for work and you find that you've got a flat tire. What's the first words out of your mouth? Or the first words in your mind? Well, exactly. But the reason is because we don't have a high enough view of God. Because if we did, everything that transpires in our life, we would turn around and we would say, God, I don't understand this, but you must have done this for a reason. You must have allowed this to come into my life. So somehow, whatever this event is that we're going through, I, it will make me become more like Jesus Christ. We looked at this yesterday at the men's breakfast. And when we are talking about Romans chapter 8, all things work together for good. We all love that part. <laughs> to those who love God, there's part of the caveat, and to those who are called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? That we will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That means whether it's by life or by death, it doesn't matter as we look at Romans chapter 8 and and we look at all of those things that that Paul talks about and he says, in all of these things we are more than what? Conquerors. So if we are more than conquerors through all of those things, that means that God must have a purpose for putting that in our life. Now, some people are going to go through cancer. Some people are going to have a heart attack. Some people are going to go through whatever it is. Some people are going to be able to go through their whole life and not have any health issues whatsoever and just drop down dead. But you don't know what else is going to happen in their life or what they're struggling with. Maybe they've got struggles in their marriage. Maybe they've got struggles financially. Maybe they've got struggles mentally or emotionally or psychologically, whatever it may be. If we are going to be more than conquerors in the Lord Jesus Christ, that means that we have to be willing to accept what he puts in our path and to give thanks, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, give thanks in how many things? Everything. All things. So, I have up on the board here, how many of you have ever heard of the term open theism? Anybody? Uh, no, no, open theism actually deals with a specific part of theology, and that is the knowledge of God. Let me give you a, let me give you a definition. Open theism says God does not know what we will do in the future. We have the freedom to thwart his hopes for us, and open theism believes that God desires to be in a relationship but he has to change his mind as each person thwarts his will. (laughs) That is blasphemy. Yes, ma'am. Yes, God does not know what we will do in the future. 
we have the freedom to thwart his hopes for us. Open theism, and I'll give you this afterwards if you want. Open theism believes that God desires to be in a relationship with mankind, but he has to change his mind as each person thwarts his will. In other words, every time something happens, if it is not expressly, divinely, or in the divine will of God, God's up there wringing his hands going, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do now. Oh, I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that. Oh my, what's going to happen now? Oh, got to come up with plan B. That means he's not sovereign. Then. That means he's not sovereign. That means he's not even God. No. That means he's not even God. Because God knows everything, so... They're saying he's not God. Interestingly, open theism is actually a fairly new theological construct, if you will, within evangelicalism. And it is held in, and I, I don't have the names of everybody, but there are several who actually hold to this. It's a small group, but growing. And the reason, I believe, is because they don't like what they see of God. Mm-hmm. Here's what sovereignty is. Sovereignty can be defined as this. God can do anything he wants, anytime he wants, with any, per- with any person he wants, for any purpose which he wishes to accomplish, and that is to bring glory and honor to himself, not to you. That's sovereignty. So let's look at a few of these verses. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Let's look at the opposite of this. If God could change, what would have happened to the children of Israel? What what does the text say? I change not, therefore Jacob, or the house of Israel, is not consumed. Can you imagine if we as... If we as creatures of clay could change the mind of God on a daily or weekly or a monthly basis and God were to get angry like he did with the children of Israel, and I have said this before, what if Moses and God were on the same page on the same day at the same time? (laughs) There wouldn't be a children of Israel. Because there were times when Moses said, well, I tell you what, God, if you'll just leave me alone, I'll kill them all by myself. I mean, this guy's 80, 90 years old. I'm going to do it all by myself. And God says, no, no, I'm not going to do that because I've made a promise that I'm going to keep. And there are times that the anger of God waxes hot and he says, Moses, just get out of my way and I'll make of you a great nation. And Moses says, no, no, God, don't, don't do that because then your name would be slighted amongst the nations and the heathen because you have promised that this and this is going to happen. Now, who has the next verse? Sterling? Numbers twenty three nineteen. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Even in the small things, the Lord Jesus Christ reminded us that we are to let our yes be yes and our no be no. How's everybody doing today? Fantastic. Fantastic. Fine. Okay. The morning sermon is going to be on lying. Now, 
here's the problem that we have. There are a lot of times we can come up and, hey, how you doing today? Oh, great, wonderful. The Lord is good. And we haven't believed that all week long. <laughs> because everything that has happened, it's like, God, why me? I mean, can't I get a break? And instead of trusting that God has put all of these things in our path because he is sovereign and because the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, that means that we should be able to trust him, trust him implicitly and explicitly. Not just when we show up on a Sunday morning from 11 to 12, 15. Our response should be, God, these things are here for a reason. And ultimately, all the struggles that you have had, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. All the struggles that you have had for this last week, when you cross from this life, as C.S. Lewis put it, and cross the shadow lands into the light of eternity, whatever the problems are that you have had this last week, you aren't even going to remember them. And the most difficult things out of all of the things that you have done in your life, this, uh, for, for all of your life, no matter how old you are, I don't see anybody here over 39, but everything that you have gone through, we're going to be able to say with the Apostle Paul, these are but light afflictions. And the things that we go through, they are there for the purpose, not just of conforming us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, but to be an encouragement and a blessing. We were talking about Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but so much the more in exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. If you don't look, if you can't look around the world and see that the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is closer than it has ever been, you're not looking. Now, I'm not setting, I'm not a prognosticator. I'm not setting a date. I've never set a date. I don't believe we have the ability to be able to set the date. But what we do have is a responsibility to be watching and waiting for the Lord's return. Because he does see the future. He does know all things. That's what omniscience is. He knows everything. Everything possible. Ramona, Isaiah 46, verse 10. Wow, that's pretty clear. God's going to do what God's going to do. And he doesn't need your help to make that decision. He does not. In fact, as he told Job, uh, do you remember what he said to Job? Uh, where were you, buddy? Where were you when I created the earth? Where were you when I created the, the great sea creatures? Where were you when I put the stars in the sky? Where were you when the morning stars or the angels sang together at the beginning of creation? Where were you? And Job says, <laughs> And we would do well to learn to put our hand over our mouth when, and instead we should be listening to God. How many of you would like to hear God speak? Read your Bible. If you want to hear him speak audibly, read it out loud. That's a great way to be able to understand the Word of God. We were talking about this this last week on Wednesday. It takes approximately 15 minutes, if you're a very slow reader, in 15 minutes every single day you can build a habit whereby you will read through the entire Bible in one year. That's a great start. 
You know, there are a lot of Christians there. Some of you may be here today. You have never read through the entire scriptures. I don't know. I've never asked. My encouragement, though, to you is to do it if you haven't done it. Well, the last thing we want is to be able to get to heaven and some guy by the name of Habakkuk or, or Zechariah or Malachi or somebody comes up and says, did you read my book? Uh, you write a book? Who are you? <laughs> we should know these authors because every single book there is, and I've heard this growing up, I heard this as well, there is a scarlet thread that runs from Genesis all the way through Revelation and every single book either points to the coming of Jesus, points to the life of Jesus, points to the bride of Jesus, or to the doctrine of Jesus, and then Revelation concludes with his soon coming. This whole book is about Jesus. And so if you are prepared to understand his word, you can go back and you can see all the problems that Israel went through and those should be a testimony to us that we don't do those things that they did. It's for our learning. It's an example for us. So let's consider a few things this morning. Daniel chapter 2, and I'm going to give you a number of verses if you are writing notes. Daniel chapter 2 says, verse 22, He knows what is in the darkness. That brings us to Psalm 139. O oh Lord, you have searched me and tried, or the word is known. You have known me. Now, in our lives, there are different individuals who know us more than somebody else does. For example, my mom and dad are here this morning. They know me better than probably the rest of you do. My wife knows me even better, and I know me. There are things about me that my wife doesn't even know. And more importantly than that, God knows everything. He knows your uprising and your downsitting. He knows everything about you. The problem is that we think as humans we are good at hiding. It's an age-old problem. Adam and Eve, instead of having fellowship with the Almighty in the cool of the evening, they decide that it's more important to rebel, to be able to eat of the fruit, and the very first day that sin enters into the world, what happens? God comes down in the cool of the evening and, Adam, where are you? Now, do you think God really didn't know where Adam was? He probably, in my mind, he's probably standing under the very tree that they're hiding in, going, Adam, where are you? Exactly. Oh, look, those fig leaves don't belong in that tree. I wonder if Adam's up there. And when they come down, what does Adam say? It's the woman's fault. The woman says it's the snake's fault. The problem is that Adam and Eve had to learn the hard way that God knew everything about them. He was the one that created them. Let's go back to our passage. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up. You discern, ooh, this one's painful. You discern my what? Thoughts from afar. Now, we, we make comments like, well, do you know what I'm thinking? The boys like doing this to their mom all the time. Do you know what I'm thinking? Trenton does that. And Violet will say, no. And Trenton will go, well, it's a good thing, isn't it? <laughs> Can you imagine if you 
were to stand up today and God, was, God were to say, everything that you know, everything, all of your thoughts, everything, we're going to put them up on a screen up on the wall. I'd be, you wouldn't see me for dust. You would never see me again. Because the things that have gone on through our mind, whether it's before salvation, whether it's after salvation, the things that you and I struggle with on a daily basis at times, the times when instead of keeping God first and keeping him preeminent in all things, we have catered to the world. We have bought into the line that the world says is acceptable. The sins that sometimes we get trapped in are the same sins that the Lord Jesus Christ died for. And yet there's still a struggle. I wouldn't want my thoughts up there, would you? And yet God knows our thoughts. But how often do we forget that? All the time. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Oh my goodness. This, this is going from like bad to really bad. God knows everything about you. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. Uh, how many of you have ever used a hammer? Okay. Or you're going down the road and somebody pulls in front of you because going 40 is not enough on a 40 mile an hour zone. You actually have to be going 50 or 55 or 60. I'm surprised how many people I'm surprised. The police, if they would just sit down here on Yellowstone, I mean, they could write their whole quote in in a couple of days for a whole month. And people just fly by. And then somebody comes and cuts you off or you get down to, to, to just past where the McDonald's is and coming up to the, to the, to the restaurants there on the right-hand side. And everybody is fighting to merge into one lane right now because of the traffic or because of the road construction that is there. And somebody cuts you off, or you're hammering a nail and you hit the wrong nail. God already knew it. And the first thing we think is, well, I'm glad somebody didn't hear me say that. Uh, you forget about somebody? Forget about God. You hem me in, verse 5. Behind and before you lay your hand upon me, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit, or whither shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol or hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me is night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. And here's something more important, and this is a passage that you and I can rest on when it comes to the reality of what God has done in giving life. For you formed my inward parts. God knew you before your parents even knew who you were. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. 
David starts out in this passage and it's almost, it comes across as though, in my understanding, it comes across as though he's discouraged. God, you know everything about me. I, I just, I can't stand up to this anymore. I can't, I can't live under this scrutiny. I can't, whatever it may be. And then he comes down to this passage and it's like he takes a pause and he says, wait a minute, you, you know everything about me and you still love me. Only God can do that. Only God can offer that kind of response to the wretch that we are. My frame wasn't hidden from you in verse 15 when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. That is pretty much takes care of the abortion issue. In other words, when I was nothing more than a clump of cells, you still knew me, and he's using personal pronouns here. In your book were written every one of my parts, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. David is like, he's rejoicing now. He's put aside the bad things. He's put aside the difficulties. And he recognizes the sovereign hand of God in his life. He's not worried about what anybody else thinks. He's not even concerned about whether he believes it. And we've said this before. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. No. God said it. That settles it. Whether you choose to believe it or not. Because it doesn't matter whether you believe in the sovereignty of God. It doesn't matter whether you believe in the knowledge of God. God's wisdom is still higher than your wisdom will ever be. God's knowledge is higher than your knowledge will ever be. God's ways are higher than your ways will ever be. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight... But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Here's what this means in a nutshell. We just went through Laodicea, the church at Laodicea. And do you remember what John writes to them? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ is speaking to the messenger of the church and to the church. And he says, you think you've got everything you need. You think you're rich. You think you've got abundance of blessings and provisions and all of these things, you don't understand that you are naked. You are pitiable. And if we are not careful, we will learn to trust in what the world has to offer, thinking that somehow it is making us something that we really, in God's eyes, are not. Some of you are not aware of this, but I worked in the cemetery and funeral industry for eight years. There's nobody that ever took a dime with them. Even the suit of clothes that's on your body doesn't belong to you. Now, there are times I have seen in two instances where uh, U-Haul actually did come to, uh, I know we've heard it said before, no, you never see a U-Haul in a cemetery. Well, I have twice. One was to actually bring the casket up. The other, the man had a beef with his ex-wife and he insisted that she wasn't going to get anything so he bought extra plots to be able to bury everything with him that he owned so she wouldn't get it. I was working in Sand Springs, Oklahoma, just outside of Tulsa. 
and we had a guy came in and purchased 15 to 20 plots. I don't remember the exact number now. It's been too many years ago. And had a custom uh, Corvette Stingray. And when he was buried, he was buried inside that Stingray. Still there today. Because he insisted nobody was going to get it. And he was going to take it with him. Man was a fool. Ezekiel chapter 11 and verse 5. For I know the things, and this, is, this one is really bad. For I know the things that come. Hope you guys have a good, I know you're going down to his class. Hope you have a good class. For I know the things that come into your mind, every one of them. Does that make you sit up and take stock of your life a little bit more? Knowing that even your thoughts, good thoughts, bad thoughts, indifferent thoughts, whatever it may be, God knows them. He knew you were going to say them, think them before you even did them. Although he is invisible to us because no man has seen God and lives, we are not invisible to him. So we saw in Psalm 139, the darkness, heaven, hell, it doesn't matter. Listen to these examples from Scripture. No human eye beheld Cain murder his brother, but his maker witnessed it. Sarah laughed derisively in the seclusion of her tent, yet it was heard by Jehovah. Achan stole a wedge of gold and a goodly Babylonian garment and carefully hid it in the earth, but God brought it to light and Like all sin, it cost the lives of some of his soldier colleagues. David was at great pains to cover up his wickedness with Bathsheba, but before long the all-seeing eye of God sent one of his servants by the name of Nathan to say to him, You are the man. Numbers chapter 32 verse 23 says, Be sure your sin will find you out. Men do not like what God is, who God is. They do not like his omniscience. They don't like the fact that there is somebody that knows you better than you know you. And Romans chapter 8 verse 7 says this, The carnal mind is enmity against God. You see, there is nothing. We, we, we've talked about this before. We talk about free will. Man's will is only free to be able to choose that to which he is a master or to which he is enslaved. This is why we say, when we talk about, we were talking about this downstairs in the prayer room. Do you understand that you can't argue somebody to a point of salvation? You can tell them the truth, but you can't make them believe it. Uh, For example, uh, some of you may remember seeing the news, it was, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago here, it wasn't too long, but there was a guy who believed in the flat earth theory. He didn't believe the world was round. He built his own little rocket 
launched her from the desert and went up so high and the rocket of course malfunction came down and he ended up dying. But he was determined that he was going to prove by going up in this rocket, which actually required math that recognized the curvature of the earth to be able to make his ascent. But you can't convince somebody. Only God can convince somebody of the truth. We can't convince, for example, somebody comes to your door, don't try to argue with them about their religion and, 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 and the LDS come to your door and, and you want to argue with them about holy underwear that they're wearing. You're not going to get anywhere. All you can do is point them to Jesus Christ. Tell them to go and read through the New Testament. Read through like a little child. And then if the Holy Spirit is going to do a work in them, it's going to be because you have pointed them to the truth, not because you're trying to argue them out of the beliefs in falsehood. I mean, who in their right mind believes that there's a planet called Kolob where God's up there having celestial sex with millions of wives? I mean, that's just ridiculous. But do you know the reason why they believe that? Because fear keeps them trapped in their religion, not because they believe it's true. Every religion in the world is the same way. Every, one, every religion will keep you in fear because it will keep you from seeing the true God. We don't argue with them. Parents, don't argue with your kids. Don't argue with your grandkids if you've got grandkids. Simply pray that God will open their eyes and they will see the truth one day. That's all you can do. Because when we get to heaven, we are each responsible before God for the decision that we make in regards to Jesus Christ. You can't stand before the throne of God on behalf of your children as much as we would like to. The painful thing is, we then want to accuse God. Well, if, my, if, if some of my kids aren't in heaven, what then? God will still be God. And any judgment that they face, that you and I face in our life, it will be because God is just, God is right, God is holy. That doesn't change. Because God's ways are higher than our ways, we can't change God. We will never change God. The question is, do we trust God though? Listen to Psalm 90, verse 8. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. Here's part of the problem. And I have stated this before many times. If you have a low view of God, you will have a low view of the church, you will have a low view of doctrine, and you will have a high view of yourself. But if you have a high view of God, you will have a high view of the truth, you will have a high view of the church, you will have a high view of doctrine, and you will have a low view of yourself. Our problem is we look at the holiness of God and instead of believing and seeing and falling down in wonder at the holiness of God, what we end up doing is thinking that God will somehow lower the, the light of his holiness to be able to accommodate us. You know how I know this? Because I've done it. We start comparing ourselves. Well, I didn't do what Mike did. 
I didn't do what Sterling did. You didn't do what I did. God is not comparing you and I to each other. There's only one standard. God and His holiness. I was talking with Galen this morning and and we were talking about where we stand and, and he was talking about his children and some of them believe and some of them do not. I said, listen, don't argue with them. Simply point them to the truth of Scripture. Show them the reality of, of who God is. Show it by your life. Not just, not just this. Show them that you love God. Show them that you believe in the holiness of God. You see, part of our problem, even within evangelical Christianity, is this. We say we believe God. We say we love God. And then we leave after Sunday service and we live like the devil for a week. And then we show up on Sunday morning and our hearts are not ready for corporate worship because we haven't worshipped God for the last week. And when we come together and it's time to pray or it's time to sing and we're not singing or we're not praying or we're not actually fellowshipping with one another and we can't wait to get out and oh, I can't believe he's gone to 12.06 today. Oh, it was 12.06 last week. Oh, here it is, 12.07 and he still ain't concluded. You know what the problem is? We have failed to remember the holiness of God. We talk about how much we love God. We're going to be with God for all of eternity. And yet some, some people, some people all, it's all they can do to spend an hour a week with Him. He knows the way that I take. Job chapter 23 and verse 10. When he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. Psalm 103, verse 14. God knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Just when you thought that, well, maybe there's a little bit of self-esteem that I can build within my own self. David comes along and he says, nope, you're just dust. (laughs) Oh, man. Even in the songs that we sing, there are many hymnals that have been changed. There's one. Do you know the uh, hymn, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote a sacred head for such a worm as I? And now there are a lot of hymn books that don't even have that song in there because we don't like, being, we don't like thinking of ourselves as a worm. What we want is, alas, and did my Savior bleed and did my sovereign die? Would he devote a sacred head for such a great guy like I? <laughs> I mean, that's the way we live our life sometimes, isn't it? Well, it, it does sound better. better you know, the problem is, again, we think and we're comparing ourselves to the Hitlers, to the Mussolinis, to the Stalins, to Saddam Husseins, to, to our next door neighbor, to... Uh, sometimes even the people within our own house, well, I'm glad I didn't do that. My wife, she sure should. My husband, he sure should. No. Where do you stand before God? Search me, O God. Know my heart, try me, and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Do you remember what happened with Peter after the resurrection? Peter's standing on the seashore. He's gone fishing again. He's taken others with him. 
And as the Lord Jesus Christ is sitting on the seashore and they all finally come ashore and he looks over at Peter, this one who so magnanimously said, Lord, although all the rest of them will forsake you, you know I'll never do such a thing. I mean, after all, I'm the leader here. I mean, he was one of the ones that got to see the Lord on the Mount of Transfiguration. I mean, nine of the disciples, they didn't get that privilege. So obviously he was somebody special. And yet the Lord brings him down and he says, no, you're going to deny me three times. No, no, I'm not going to do that. And he gets to the point where Peter even uses, in the original, he uses curse, cursing language to say as if, God, if I knew that man, may God strike me dead. This is a man who not only knew God, he had walked with him. He had slept on the side of the road with all the other disciples for three and a half years. He had seen Jesus do the miracles. He had seen Jesus raise the dead. He had seen salvation and faith come to unbelieving Jews as well as unbelieving Gentiles. Lord, you know I would never do that. So Peter come, or Jesus comes and he says, Peter, do you love me? That's really the question we have to ask. Put your name in there. Do you really love me? Ask God. What's more important to you? Are the things of the world more important? And Peter responds in John chapter 21. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Peter's going to get offended. Do you really love me? Do you really love me? Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. And then Jesus uses Peter's word. It, Peter, do you really like me? I mean, are, are we like good friends? I mean, how much do you love me? Do you love me as a brother or do you agape love me? Well, Lord, I can't do that. You already know what I did. Can you imagine being embarrassed amongst all of the disciples? And Peter is offended, and he's upset that the Lord Jesus Christ has used his words. But Lord, you know, you know all things. And he tells him, Peter, you need to understand that one day you're going to die, and you're going to die for me. And it's not going to matter about all the other disciples. It's not going to matter what you had in your life. You're going to go to the cross just like I did. And you're going to hang there for the world to see. Peter obviously learned his lesson because the next words out of his mouth are, uh, well, what about John? <laughs> Folks, you can't worry about your husband, your wife, your kids, your grandkids. You can't worry about any of that stuff. You have to worry about where you stand before God. There are times my dad and I were talking about this. You know, there are some people and they come to church and they get this impression that, well, let's just, let's just put it this way. I think that it's time for Christian men to stand up and be Christian men. To be godly leaders, regardless of what goes on in the house. Regardless, because here's what happens. And I, I can speak from experience because I've been there. Wake up on a Sunday morning, not as the pastor. Wake up on a Sunday morning, or when I was not a pastor. And get up, roll over. You know, I'm kind of tired today. My wife says, well, what do you think? You think we should go to church? I say, well, 
You know, we, we went last week. You know what I should have done? Should have been the leader. I should have been the kind of man that God expected me to be, to have backbone and say, I'm going to get up today and I'm going to take my wife and I'm going to take my children and we are going to go worship at the feet of Jesus with fellow brothers and sisters who we are going to share all of eternity with. But there are a lot of times I didn't. And you know part of the reason why? Because in the early years of our marriage, I didn't have a pastor who cared enough for me and loved, and loved me enough and loved my family enough to tell me the truth. He wanted me to feel good about myself so I could come on a Sunday morning and if I hadn't been there an entire month, oh, he, he would just fill me with, oh, well, it's good to see you and you're great and you're wonderful and all of this stuff. And You know what God had to do? He had to move us to a place where we could finally learn the truth again. Where we could understand what God expected of us. And this is not about every single time the doors are open. But the question is, why are we so willing to spend more time with the world than we are with God and his people? God only know, not only knows whatever has happened in the past, in every part of his vast domains, he is not only thoroughly acquainted with everything that is now transpiring throughout the entire universe, but he is also perfectly aware of every event from the least to the greatest that will ever happen in the ages to come. Do you remember what we started with in Revelation chapter 1? This was the vision that was given to John of things which are to come. We're going to look at the worship of the, the Most High and to be able to see a picture of the throne if we were to get up every morning and see a picture of heaven the way that it really is, it would just completely humble us. I think we would live depressed knowing that we're not there right now. Well, let's ask you a rhetorical question. I mean, would you rather get up in the morning and see the face of God and enjoy all the wonders of heaven or would you rather see the latest news? I hate the news. There are some days I don't watch any news whatsoever. I don't look at it online because I'm so sick and tired of it. I'm sick and tired of everybody from world leaders all the way down through denominational leaders and, and church leaders and people in pews and they're more concerned and they're worried about that than they are about whether they're right before God. Daniel chapter 4. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand. Oh, I don't like that kind of God. Proverbs 19 verse 21. There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. Proverbs says that the rolling of the dice is in the hand of the man, but the outcome is from the Lord. Everything controlled by a sovereign God. We come to the New Testament. Acts chapter 15 verse 18. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning. James chapter 1 tells us there's no variableness, there's no turning, there's no changing with God. Jesus Christ, Hebrews chapter 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He won't change. Would you really want to believe a God who could change based on your whims? 
I'm not having a good day today and so I'm going to make some decisions and I'm not going to trust God and well, God's just going to, like we said at the beginning, He's going to be wringing His hands wondering what He's going to do now. Whole host of heaven is standing around wondering, well, poor Mark, we don't know what God's going to do now with him. The things which must shortly come to pass as Revelation chapter 1 verse 1 says, the perfect knowledge of God involves every single aspect of your life. And here's more importantly where it comes down to in the last couple of minutes. If God didn't know the future and things could be changed and if the evil one knew what the possibilities were such as in open theism do you think that man really would have put Jesus to death knowing the outcome? No. When Peter is speaking on the day of Pentecost and he is preaching to the thousands of people who are gathered there, he says the Lord Jesus Christ was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. In other words, there was no plan B for God. None. God came from before the foundations of the world. He was the sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God. Ephesians chapter 1 makes that very clear. God didn't come down and was filled with the Holy Spirit as a baptism. And over three and a half years, he learns the awful truth that he's going to have to die on a cross. No. Jesus Christ was God and he knew the purpose that he came. Jesus Christ was born to die. If there was any other option whatsoever, you and I would not have salvation today. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Listen, the, the world is not a good place. People are not intrinsically good. Some of you have been to third world countries. Some of you have been to where war is. If you take law out of the land, it will devolve to the lowest common denominator. And that is the depravity of the heart of man. If you don't believe me, go watch a movie. Don't watch this movie. I'm just using this rhetorically. Go and watch the movie Blood Diamonds and you will see what we saw when we were in Liberia. And you will see how bad man's heart actually is. Because when you take law out of the equation and man doesn't think about God and he doesn't care about the punishment, he doesn't care about the judgment and there is no justice in this world, there are people who have committed horrible crimes in Liberia during 14 years of civil war who will never go to jail because the government doesn't want to punish them. Mike? Now we, we uh, watched some news clips this week and throughout see it over and over just in our own country in some of these cities where when the police force are told to pull back or look the other way yep. because it's almost like the law is not on the, the transgressors and they become more and more aggressive more evil the depravity of man just is exposed and there's beatings of people that are happening elderly people, young people store owners and when they try to defend themselves in one case in New York they prosecute the store for defending himself 
Yep, there are some places here. If you walk in, as long as it's under $1,000, you can just walk right out the front door with the stuff and you won't get prosecuted. Anybody see the 73, 72 or 73-year-old man in Philadelphia who was beat to death by seven teenagers with a traffic cone? Yes, I saw it, yes. You know what the problem is? They've never taught, been taught the fear of God. Because when you have the fear of God in your life, the next thing that happens is that you understand the sanctity of life. We have a responsibility to protect from the birth before the person is born to the grave. But now, laws are being passed on a regular basis. In fact, right now in New York, and you can go and take a, you can take a look and see this, but in New York right now, the abortion laws are they are trying and it has been before their Senate for a while and they keep bringing it up and it gains more and more favor. They are trying to change the abortion laws to where you can actually murder your baby up to 28 days after birth. Do you know why? No fear of God. Uh, our, our world in Judges chapter 21 explains exactly what is going on right now. Everybody did that which was right in his own eyes. Let me conclude with this. I've got this little saying on my desk. He foresaw, because we've looked at some troubling things, we, to, to understand and know that God knows your thoughts, He knows everything that's going on about you. I want this to be the encouragement this morning. He, speaking of God, foresaw my every fall, my every sin, my every backsliding, yet nevertheless fixed His heart upon me. This realization should make us bow and wonder and worship the Almighty. He saw everything about you. He knew everything about you. And yet still loved you. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that even though we don't like the thought of you knowing all of our thoughts, the struggles that we have from day to day, you still know everything about us. You saw our every fall. You saw our every sin. You saw our every backsliding. And yet before we even knew who you were, you set your love upon us. What an amazing God. What a beautiful story of redemption and love. We pray as we go into the next service that we will be prepared to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen.